Hello and welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show brought to you by ProgressiveChristianity.org, a wonderful place to get all your progressive Christian resources. I hope that you will follow both ProgressiveChristianity.org and the Moonshine Jesus Show on social media. Today, we have an exciting show because we are going uh, a little back to the past to talk about... Yep. Back to the Future, future. one of my all-time favorite movies, right? Are you yeah. Mark? I could not be more excited, man. I, 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 yeah, I can't wait. This is this is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be so much fun. I don't think I need to tell you this today, but of course <laughs> we will have spoilers. But I mean, if you haven't seen Back to the Future by this point, uh, sorry, there's just really nothing we can do. That's really all on you. Uh, but we're going to start off as usual yes. with our drinks. Indeed. So do you have an interesting drink today, Mark? Well, I, I don't know if you would call it interesting. I tried to get bottled Pepsi because we see bottled Pepsi throughout uh -huh. the show. Yeah. And you can't find it in bottles anywhere. So Marty ordered a Pepsi free, right? Because the guy uh -huh. says, if you're a Pepsi kid, you're going to have to pay for it. Uh, so I couldn't get a Pepsi free, but I do have a bottle of Pepsi Zero that I then spiked with rum as the rum and coke that you might have had when you were in high school since we spent so much time in high school here so i have a pepsi <laughs> almost free rum uh pepsi and and rum how about you what'd you decide to go with i love we'll drink that. straight from the bottle too got, got, Good, gotta you go should. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that i think is the most iconic about the 1950s is the 50s malt shop and we see some of the teenagers drinking malts uh, so i decided to have a spiked malt today Ooh, so just a vanilla malt that's spiked with vodka so and vodka and vodka is what moraine marty's mom was drinking, drinking at the opening of the show yeah that's what i thought that's why i chose it of course <laughs> it's great, man. Because it mixed well here. Cheers. Cheers to you, Mark. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to dive in. So let's make like a tree and get out of here. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus show you joined us for our geek out segment of the show I love that you closed the last segment with that quote from Biff uh, just for what it's worth Thomas Wilson the actor that played Biff actually uh, he 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 made that lineup he came up with it himself just off <laughs> it's classic. Character perfect. so uh, he improvised that it was fun to go so like you said I don't know what yeah. rock someone would have to be living under to not know about <laughs> Back to the future. Uh, but, you know, you just never know. And so as we do at the beginning of the, this segment, I'm going to give us a quick recap. For the, so for, for those who don't know, uh, it's a romantic comedy time travel adventure in which our lead protagonist, Marty McFly, accidentally finds himself transported back to his parents' high school. And he ends up being the object of his mother's affections rather than his father being that. And quite to his dismay, he learns that his mother is significantly more um, adventurous 
than she claimed that she was in her high school years. And his father, he finds out, lacks the self-confidence to get his, her attention. So ultimately, it, it, it takes Marty's intervention to get his mom and his dad to kiss at the prom, getting them back together, and saving the space-time continuum. So that's my quick little recap I, for those who somehow are initiated to this. And I, I'm going to start out with this question, Caleb. Is this one of the best movies ever made, or is it the best movie ever made? And follow-up question, why is it the best movie ever made? <laughs> It, okay, so it's certainly it's certainly one of the best movies ever made. It's one, it's definitely in my top ten. I yeah. I love Back to the Future, and I grew up watching Back to the Future. I've seen it so many times, but uh, you know, it's actually been a while since I've watched it, and so I went back through last night and watched it. Nice. And I think one of the reasons that it continues to be. Uh, such a fun movie is because it's it's even more fun on the rewatch and i think it it deals with some uh, kind of fun questions like hey are our parents really who we think they are and what were they really like and i i think going back and living through that is something that's fun to experience and i mean i mean uh, time traveling in a delorean what couldn't be fun about that? I mean, that, it, I it's a it's fun great. And you know, you know, the DeLorean, the DeLorean wasn't the original plan for the time travel. Uh, at first, it was this kind of refrigerator on the back of a flatbed truck. And that's what's interesting about the, that, that he yeah. had Pepsi throughout the movie. Because in order for it to work, it had to be present in a nuclear explosion. And there had to be Coca-Cola involved. Like that was how it was written. And so it's interesting. It was Coca-Cola and now it's a, a whole Pepsi kind of movie. Pepsi. Anyway. I like the DeLorean. I think the DeLorean, I think the DeLorean was, DeLorean a was a choice. They ultimately chose the DeLorean because it was more transportable. And because when he crashes into the barn, it looks more like it could be misinterpreted as a UFO with the doors open and all of that kind of thing. So that's where they how they ended up getting to the DeLorean on that. Uh, so you started on it. So what what is it that the reason you think this is such a great movie, even almost 40 years later? Or are there other parts you think that really caused this to be hold up so well over a crazy amount of time? And it's a very 80s movie. I mean, it's very it 80s. Is. But it, most 80s movies, when you look back up on them, you're kind of like, oh, that's fine. It's okay. This one just feels almost as fresh 40 years, yeah. almost 40 years later. What do you, what do you think that is? You know, it's kind of like Indiana Jones movies, too, where you go back and you're like, okay, the special effects are super dated, but that's like a part of the charm and a part right. of the things that you love that's about fair. it. And so, that's like, fair, yeah. as as Marty's, like, hand is disappearing, I mean, it's clearly kind of cheesy 80s <laughs> effect, but who cares? I mean, that's one of the things that, that you love about it. And so, I, I, I think... Part of, part of what makes it so special is that it's very 80s and yeah. uh, and going back. And I think there's a lot of nostalgia uh, for a whole bunch of us. I think old millennials like myself, Gen Xers, I think we all kind of have this nostalgia about the 80s anyway. Right. And so I think the fact that it is very 80s um, is part of it. I think also that, okay, we're almost 40 years from when the movie was made. And Marty goes back about 30 years uh, in time. And so I think it's kind of watching Back to the Future is kind of like go, Marty going back in time for some of us. You know, it's kind of the same experience watching yeah. the movie that Marty has. I think that's one of the things that's so fun about it, or at least it is for me, one yeah. of the things that I like. About no, it. I agree. I think that's, it's really fun. I also just think it's one of the rare, perfectly made movies. And I, I'm not saying that lightly. 
And I'm not talking about the storyline. I'm talking about in terms of movie making, uh, the soundtrack, the uh, the music that they bring in from Huey Lewis that he yeah. wasn't going to do it first and, and finally was convinced to do the songs and the way that it, it works and fits in. The, the editing on this movie is unbelievable. The pacing is pretty much flawless throughout. You never feel like it's going too fast. You never feel like it's yeah. dragging. Um, the visuals are incredible. The set design is perfect. It is so well choreographed. There's every little thing that happens in any scene turns out to be important later. You know, mm -hmm. they, it relates back to itself. Even little tiny things like uh, the, the opening scene uh, in Doc Brown's uh, uh, laboratory and all the clocks. And there's the one clock with the classic black and white uh, silent with a man hanging off of the arm. I of a I never noticed that until this time. Yeah, so I've been watching this for forty years, and this was <laughs> right. the first time that I noticed that. And I'm like, wait, has that been yeah. there the whole time? And that stuff is throughout the movie. Like, yeah. every, there's in, almost in every scene, there's a handful of things that are very small, really not even calling attention to, that pay off later in some way. It, and I think that's part of what makes it such a rewatchable movie because there's always something new to discover. It's just, I, I absolutely love that. An interesting thing about the story, and I, I love in, in the the making of this. So they, they write the first script, and the first script doesn't really go over very well. They write the second script, which is getting closer to what we have now. Believe it or not, Back to the Future was rejected 40 times by the big studios. Oh, what? <laughs> right. How? I mean, can you Why? imagine... Yeah, no. it was absolutely unbelievable. That for, yeah. How in the world could you... Well, I guess it is a very visual movie, so maybe it just wasn't coming off of the, the, the screenplay so well. But Although it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Screenplay, uh, Original Screenplay. Didn't win. It did win for uh, sound editing. But, it, that's, mm. it, but it didn't, it, it's weird that it never... But it also is a great lesson of, of how important it is if you believe in something stick with it and keep going because you know if uh if they hadn't have done it we wouldn't we wouldn't have had back to the future man and how sad right. would that have been it would have been terrible and i mean it made a lot of money too which i mean it was not a very I think big it was budget. the biggest that year i think it made yeah. the most money that that year yeah and, and so 200 I mean, 210 million dollars which in the 80s was a lot 80s. of money for a movie yeah. yeah, that's huge. That's an enormous, uh, an enormous income. So it's uh, a lot of fun. You know, one thing I learned recently, Mark, that you probably knew, but I didn't know, was that they filmed most of this movie with someone else playing Marty McFly. Uh, Particularly which, the first part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, uh, Eric the guy Stoltz from Matt. Eric yeah. Stoltz. Eric Stoltz was, and he put filmed for four solid weeks uh, the role of Marty McFly. And uh, it, the, one of the main people who was involved in this was Spielberg said, mm -hmm. just insisted, Eric Stoltz is the guy, I promise you. Um, and so they, they pushed it on Zemeckis and Zemeckis took him, but it just didn't work out. It, it was never working out. And the last week, the word is that they found out that, that, um, that Michael J. Fox was going to be available. And that was part of the problem. He wasn't available because of the shooting. And he was he was shooting uh, Teen Wolf at the same time while he was doing Family Ties. And he just wasn't going to be available. And so uh, they um, they found out he was going to be available. There was still going to be a week. So they didn't tell Eric Stoltz. There's actually a little bit of uh, 
Stoltz won't even talk about it. No matter who tries to get him to talk about it, he won't even talk about it anymore. Mm. Uh, they didn't tell him for, I think, about a week when they knew. Wow. And so even the scenes that he was in, uh, they would focus on uh, uh, close-ups of the other actors so that they could come back and shoot Marty's, uh, 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 Michael J. Fox's Marty and, and yeah. edit it all back in. So, yeah, there was four weeks of it where it was a completely different person. And I've seen footage of it. It really doesn't work. He plays, plays it like a drama, and and it's like <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And that's what Zemeckis I, was telling him. Zemeckis was like, "Okay, when you cross the street, take a, a little bit of a stumble." And he was like, "Well, I wouldn't take a stumble. I would just walk across the street." He's like, "No, it's going to humanize you. You need to do that." It's just a, a, a battle. It sounds like. I think one of the things that makes it work, right, is that Michael J. Fox is incredibly charismatic and lovable and funny, and he just has this natural way about anything he is ever in. He just kind of exudes that, and he's fun to watch. He draws you in. And so it's hard to imagine what this movie would have even been like, and it it probably wouldn't have been a success. So the the other actor, actor, Mark, that I heard was uh, kind of uh, interesting to work with was Crispin Glover. Uh, have you that heard the stories actually, about Crispin Glover on set? Absolutely. That was actually a really big issue on the set. He, he was, I just going to say, he was a weirdo on the set, on the set. Like, uh, <laughs> when, when they're in the, when they're in the, uh, the cafeteria and there's the yeah. shot of Marty trying to convince yeah. him to go talk to Lorraine and, and ask mm-hmm. her out. Um, for some reason, Crispin kept like intentionally t- taking his, his self out of frame. And then coming back in. And sometimes he'd go out of frame and mess his hair up and then come back in with messed, like a different hair. And Zemeckis kept going, man, we, you can't do that. We, you're going to screw up. All, even the editors aren't going to be able to fix this. And it was like every scene, he was like that over and over again. So much so that when they wrote the script for the second Back to the Future, I know this is a geeking out segment and you're talking to a big Back I to know. the Future geek. So when they wrote the second uh, screenplay at first, they wrote him completely out mm-hmm. he was dead in all timelines like that yep. was part, a big part of the story <laughs> that he was dead in all time and they recast him with a person and they used a face mold of uh of, of crispin to 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 put on the new actor and, there and was that was dramatic <laughs> yeah it was the first time anyone had tried to do that use the image of yep. someone else in a movie that wasn't yep. in the movie mm-hmm. and it became a big big issue between uh right. glover uh, crispin glover and Zemeckis, and they didn't talk for a long time after that. There was a $720,000 lawsuit, something like that, that was settled over it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Zemeckis did finally recast Glover in uh, one of his animations where they cap- capture animation. Uh, and I can't mm. remember. And they 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 kind of buried the hatchet, and they all got along, and it was much better, and they, they, they worked together pretty, pretty well. Beowulf was the one that he was in. So uh, they, they did finally repair the breach, but it took a re- like decades, decades to, to, to get over it. I, I hear that there there was a lot of like examination of the character too. Like, well, what if my character didn't walk through the door? And right. it, would, it would be like, well, but the script says he walks through the door. Right. <laughs> That's what yeah. you do. Walk through the it's door. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was really difficult. And the other, going back to uh, Eric Schultz, he, he's a mm-hmm. character. Uh, he's he is one of those actors that has to embody the character. Yeah. So on set, he never got out of character. 
So everybody had to call him Marty. If they called him Eric, he wouldn't talk to them. He would ignore them. Like, it was just so many weird things. And then, uh, actually, Lorraine got recast, too. Oh. The original Lorraine, the original Lorraine was significantly taller. See, uh, Eric Stoltz was six foot. Uh-huh. Uh, Michael J. Fox was 5'4 five, or 5'5. Five, five, and so the original actress was too tall, so they had to recast her so that they would have somebody that would fit with size a little bit better with Michael J. Fox. So there was a lot of early recasting to make this come together and become the movie that, that it was that we all love and, and adore so much. But it is quite a, a journey to get there. So I, one last question. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that this is, because uh, Zemeckis and his co-writer were known for kind of nostalgia films before mm-hmm. this. They've done a couple that were that in it is this a nostalgia film or do you think it's a critique of nostalgia films Ooh, I... ah oh i this should have been the make me look stupid question <laughs> I <don't... laughs> dang it i wasted a question ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I think maybe a critique of them. I, yeah, I, think, um, I think so. And I think a um, a looking a looking back and saying, "Hey, uh, things weren't quite as rose colored as we as we thought yeah. they were." And uh, and it, the film I can very, do that too. Yeah, I very much think they did. You know, when they when they when he first gets back to the, the 1955, uh, you know, uh, the happy bouncy uh, Mr. Sandman, bam 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 bam, bam mm-hmm. starts playing and it's. All of a sudden, the city square is beautiful uh, and it's so pristine and everyone's just walking Uh around on a nice Sunday afternoon. But real quickly, we start seeing, you know, uh, racist characters. We start seeing uh, Mm -hmm. uh, horrific misogyny and all kinds of terrible Uh things. So, yeah, I really do think that was they were very intentionally trying to say, hey, look, nostalgia isn't everything. Like, matter of fact, you got Lorraine saying, well, I was this kind of person like nostalgia actually frequently misremembers for the sake of trying to make mm-hmm. things better. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's one of the other brilliant things this show does. All right, we can go on and on, except for the fact that we're running out of time at this segment. So as much as I could geek out for another two hours with useless information about Back to the Future, <laughs> I will not do it. Uh, we will take a quick break and come back on the other side and delve into some of the political and theological issues uh, that come up with the, the film. <laughs> Back to the Moonshine Jesus Show, where today we are talking about Back to the Future, one of, if not the best movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I have never done before is watch this movie thinking about theology and politics. Ah, it yeah. it has been so kind of just embedded in my life that uh, yeah. it was kind of fun to go through and think about the, the theology that was uh, in the midst of Back to the Future. So uh, as you just mentioned a minute ago, Mark, we see 1950s America and we see some uh, troubling issues with, with race and, and all. Um, 
what do you think is uh, is going on here? Do you think um, do you think it does a good job of accurately depicting what race relations were like in the 1950s? And is the film gu- guilty of casting any broad strokes uh, and racial stereotypes itself? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 um, a lot of questions there. Um, that's in honor of you, Mark. I appreciate, <laughs> that. I appreciate that very much. You always yeah, ask I'm, me a multi-part question. Absolutely. And it's, so it's, I just it's, really, all it's, really, I, it's only fair, man. It's only fair. <laughs> I know. No, right? I, I, I do think they that, that I don't think it's a fair representation. Oddly, I think that they may have painted a, a, a better picture than what it really was, mm-hmm. all the while also doing a horrible job at how they handled it. I mean, mm-hmm. um, there, there's been critiques of, oh, it takes a, a, a white man to come back and teach Barry how to play a song. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a whole argument about time stuff on that. But there's some there's some pieces that they weren't paying close enough attention to and weren't really um, trying to do in a better way. And I think Goldie is a great example of, of a, a character that's kind of an overblown um, caricature of someone while, while the other characters that were in the film uh, really weren't so overblown. They were weird and different, but they weren't a caricature the way that Goldie was presented. So uh, they could have handled it better. They should have handled it better. And they did handle it better than some 80s movies did, but that doesn't excuse the choices they made. I mean, what did what did you think about it? Yeah, so Goldie was the one that was uh, overly problematic for me mm-hmm. it, because um, they go into the the malt shop place right. um, and uh, and we see kind of the wise black man trope where right. where Goldie comes in and offers George advice to uh, stand up to Biff mm-hmm. and then disappears, you know? And yeah. so I, I felt like that was kind of, uh, that was, uh, even though I think they were trying to be empowering, showing that he was one day going to be the mayor of Hell right. Valley. Problem solver. That, right. But ultimately right. what they did was play into a, a traditional trope of the wise, yeah. wise black man that, that right. I felt like was kind of inherently racist while trying Absolutely. to talk about racism. Another yeah. place that I I think um, you you mentioned the dance scenes, but I, I think also the the Libyan terrorists. We see that kind of caricature incredible. of uh, of Libyans and uh, That's as if the as if they're all terrorists. So I think now, that yeah. there I, were some. I, of that. I misspoke. That they obviously were also one of the other places where it was a clear caricature and it was an unfair yeah. one and it, and it was meant to be degrading really right yes and uh and so i think that there are uh, some of those things uh, going on and uh it it was uh, i think it's important for us to to realize that mm-hmm. one of the other things um that kind of caught my uh, my eyes and ears this go round is yeah. uh is george marty's dad and right. uh uh, you know, he, he doesn't want to stand up to Biff. And uh, there's a line at the beginning where he says, Biff is my supervisor and I'm not really good at confrontation. And whenever I listened to that, it got me thinking about uh, how we relate to each other and mm-hmm. how people relate to each other in churches in particular. And I mean, Mark, 
it isn't avoiding confrontation what nice Christians are supposed to do? Isn't, isn't like uh, nice Christianity supposed to be about avoiding confrontation? Well, that is what we're taught when we're growing up, isn't it? But, uh, you know, uh, those of us who might pay a little attention to that recognize exactly what happens uh, to Marty's dad. And that's mm -hmm. by avoiding conflict. And uh, you end up in even worse places frequently, that, that it actually makes the situation a lot worse. Uh, I would say uh, that the way that the, 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 uh, the way the way that uh, George McFly handled it mm -hmm. was not good because it ultimately came down to violence, which is his way of, of handling the conflict. But, uh, you know, I think as good Christians, hand, addressing conflict directly in a kind and caring and loving way having conversation and really letting each other know that we care about them. We care about where, how they fit into the community and trying to work through it and hearing each other and trying to understand each other is certainly the way we should do it. And it's, boy, is it's so unfortunate that for so long churches have taught just to be kind and nice and turn the other cheek, which is using turn the other cheek in completely the wrong way. Um, because it leads to really bad situations, I think. I mean, what what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I, the the whole let's go sing nice hymns with nice people on Sunday morning and then leave. I, I think it's a problematic way yeah. and isn't really an authentic uh, way to follow Jesus. Just no. just being nice. And what we mean by being nice is, um, I think. Uh, not really being willing to engage with people and trying to be left alone. And I think about, you know, that verse in Matthew where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, uh, yeah. I am there among them. And a lot of times in church, what we do is we we try to use that to make ourselves feel better if attendance is low. Like, well, you know, where two or three are gathered. He's, he's right. among but that was about confrontation, right? Absolutely. And about holding members accountable when they had misbehaved. And so I think actually accountability and confrontation about setting boundaries and enforcing them, I think is actually a, a very deep spiritual practice. And I Absolutely. think I think confrontation and accountability is is extremely important and is one of the authentic ways to to follow Jesus. So yeah, I think that avoiding confrontation is almost <laughs> never helpful. It almost yeah. never actually accomplishes anything other than to make things worse. Worse. <laughs> like I completely communication agree. Yeah. <laughs> you found that to be true too? Oh, absolutely. Over and over again, man. And, and, and a lot of it's a personal journey for me because I am yeah. very much like the McFlies. Like yeah. I really don't like confrontation. And for a long period in my life, the, it was easier to kind of try to let it fade away. And I, and I did learn over time that, more times than not, it didn't really fade away. It just became a, a bigger and different problem that had to be a, got to the point that I didn't have any choice but to address it. Right, right. When it, when it was much larger than it would yeah. have been initially. Yeah, that's an important yeah, observation. Sure. So one of the other things, Mark, that we see at various times uh, over the course of the movie is kind of some themes around sexual assault, which obviously yeah. when I was watching this as a kid i didn't necessarily catch or understand in the same way so do you think the do you think film deals with that in a healthy way um uh, thinking about sexual assault uh do you or what do you think about the way that it handles it uh in general well i could uh, the, the two scenes that i'm thinking of both involve biff 
uh, assaulting of the rain. Mm-hmm. And um, boy, but did they handle it well? I don't know if they handled it well. That the outcomes at least were someone intervening and trying to prevent the person who was being uh, sexually aggressive from being doing what they were doing. Um, I, I think that it probably it was probably done with too much flippancy. It, it probably needed to be addressed more than just stopping it. There needed to be a lot more that goes on in terms of dialogue with the characters and addressing that issue. It's not a little issue. It's not Marty McFly decided to take a little drink from Lorraine's uh, bottle that she stole from her mom's liquor cabinet. It's not a little thing. It, this is a major, major issue that really impacts far too many people's lives. And to, I, I think it needed to be addressed a lot more directly and, and there if you're going to put it in there then be willing to deal with it and not just kind of dismiss it real quickly with someone coming in and being a hero and a savior yeah and i what think that's think? the the main problem that i had with it was the whole thought of the men coming in to be the savior because exactly. even when we're not even when we're not we take biff out of the equation and we're just talking about george and marty that marty comes up with this plan that he's going to act like he's sexually assaulting his mother and and george is supposed to come in and be the hero and take him out and Mm -hmm. kind of this in this display of masculinity is going to to show that he can stand up for her and and that he can take care of her and then that she's automatically going to go to him because because he has saved her and he has earned her uh loyalty and affection and a I, very I think 80s kind of, way of seeing it. A very 80s way of seeing it, which uh, is something that you and I talked about a little bit last week, which yeah. uh, is, uh, you know, whether or not this movie would work in uh, yeah. <laughs> in this day and age. Do you, th- do you think it would, Mark? Because I agree that all of these things are very important and things that were kind of that the movie didn't really deal with. And yet at the same time, if the movie tried to deal with heavy things like this, it wouldn't be back to the future. So can this movie, could this movie be made today in a way that is more culturally aware, more sensitive to some of the topics? Yeah, I I think it could be. I think it could be because, but you'd have to leave some stuff out and find a different way of turning the story. Mm. Uh, because as you said, if they did deal with it directly, it wouldn't be the same movie. It would change the movie. And and there is something that's supposed to be hopeful about the overall feeling of this movie. And if we dug to, and I guess you could try to make that a little bit helpful, but it's going hopeful, but it was going to, it would leave you in a weird place. So I think you could, it would just have to be changed. If you're going, like I said, if you're going to put in parts about sexual assault, you best be ready to deal with it to actually address the issue and not be flippant about it. Um, and that's one of the, like, I do still think this is a fantastic movie, but I, that's one of the main issues that I have with it overall. And I, there's even this part of me that feels like it's very unfortunate that the rest of the movie is so great that so many of us almost just allow that to happen. Like mm-hmm. we just kind of mm-hmm. just go with it because everything else is so incredible. And, and, uh, there is an issue there, isn't there? There definitely is. I I, I think particularly around uh, the way w- women are treated uh, and the and the way that we uh, portray kind of uh, the, this kind of toxic masculinity. I think there's yeah. a lot of issues there, and I would love to delve more deeply into that. I 
I love talking about this movie, Mark. But so uh, we've, we've got another segment to do, and we've got to get to that. Uh, yes. We've got to get to the Make Me Look Stupid segment. So why don't we take a quick break and come back and try to make each other look stupid? <laughs> Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. You're joining us for our Make Me Look Stupid segment where we commence to trying to make our co-host look stupid. Uh, so I am going to reward you today, Caleb. You did Ooh. not steal any of my questions throughout the rest ah. of the show. I was very impressed with that. I have three questions that I could ask here. <laughs> I, didn't, let, I didn't find a single one of you them. You didn't find any of them. I'm going to let you go first. And have the opportunity to possibly steal one of those questions. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so, as uh, as we mentioned earlier, this is kind of a commentary, uh, I think, in some ways, on uh, relationship of kids with their parents. And I'm curious, Mark, what do you think the movie is trying to say about that? What is the movie's position about... Uh, relationships between children and parents or is it trying to make a commentary on that at all it is definitely trying to make a commentary on that the whole reason the movie was made was because i don't remember which one and maybe it was zemeckis or the writer gail um one of them went home and found their father's yearbook and saw a picture of their father and their first thought was Oh, me and my dad would not have been friends if we'd have been in high school. <laughs> so, yeah, there's no doubt that that's it because then he went back and talked to whichever other one. And he said, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, we, there might be something going on here because my mom always misremembers who she was in high school. Like she's <laughs> always saying it was this and then something pops up to show that she wasn't that. And so I think it's definitely trying to explore generational um, uh -huh. relationships and how we can be different, but also in particular father figures. Uh, Doc mm -hmm. is obviously a father figure. Uh, when Marty is early, you know, early in the movie, has a father that he's not really able to look completely up to. He's, uh, mm -hmm. You can tell he's somewhat disappointed with how he handles himself. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it's definitely trying to, to deal with it. I think it's a little murky. There's several different messages of what that what that exploration is supposed to be about, but I don't think there's any doubt that that's what they're exploring. I mean, what, what what's your take? Yeah, I don't know that they were necessarily trying to make any commentary on parenting, other than that maybe who we see our parents as isn't right. who they were or even <laughs> are. <laughs> but, uh, right. you know, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday uh, about this and uh, about parenting in general. And so I think one of the things that it, it tells me is that maybe in parenting, one of the best approaches is to try and be authentic about, yes. about who you are, not to try and present yourself as uh 
as someone who you aren't or weren't like say Lorraine, uh, you know, I never parked with a boy. I never (laughs) called a boy. I would never, (laughs) you know, not to to present yourself in a way that that just isn't true, but to, but to be authentic, to tell your story. And I think, I think that goes a long way with kids uh, at every stage in life. And the good news is as a person with adult kids, who yep. I, I tried to be very authentic. I can yep. tell you one of the things that that leads mm. to is that you actually get to be friends with your kids when they're adults, because mm. who you are is who you were, and they can see and yep. respect that, and you can build a much deeper relationship because of it. So yeah, I'm with you 100%, 100%. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm stuck in this conundrum. I've got three questions here. And I didn't and steal I kinda, any of them. I can, you didn't steal any of them, and I kind of like them all. Uh, I'm going to ask so, you. To, so you're going to ask all three of them. I'm gonna, no, I won't, I won't do that to you. See what I mean, Mark? You always do this. Okay. <laughs> I won't do that to you. I am going to ask you oh. to pick a number, one through three, and I'm going to ask you that question. Mm, okay, three. Number three. All right. Uh, why did Marty think at the end of the movie, uh, when he realizes he's in a time machine, that, quote, when he knows he wants to get back and save Doc Brown from everything, why did he think, knowing that the DeLorean shows up where it, like in the same space at a different time, why did he think, like quote, 10 minutes. 10 minutes ought to do it? That's, that, so I was yelling at Marty last night as I was watching it. <laughs> you need more than 10 minutes. You're all the way across town, Marty. Right. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and I, I mean, why not a day? <laughs> why, why, why not an hour? Right. <laughs> and he knew that the DeLorean was not super reliable. Either. Right. Uh, so, um, why not start? <laughs> It may not start. Uh, you it might get there and planning. not be able to. Yeah. It was poor planning. Well, I, you know, I actually think uh, I actually think that it was intentional that they did like yeah. they, not not just so that he would have to watch Doc get shot again. I mm-hmm. actually think they were playing into who his character was. I mean, think about it. We start the movie off with him being late to school. Uh-huh. He is late to meet Doc because he stays at the ball. The, the prom for far too long. I think this is yep. a character trait that he's just not very good with time. Like he doesn't quite <laughs> understand how this, like it's, isn't it, isn't it just sort of rich? It is sort of rich that in a movie about time travel, God. your main protagonist is bad with time. Kind of like it. I kind of like I, it. I, I applaud that, Mark. I think I love that. I, and that's I kind of <laughs> like it. That's one of the things that's endearing about Marty, isn't it? It is. It really is. All right. So anyway, we've had far too much fun. Let's talk about what we're going to do next week. Uh, you and I have actually talked a little bit about this, right? Yeah, we have. And so this is a, a show that, Mark, you have watched the first season of, but I, I was brand new too, and you helped it. me discover this. And uh, I'm about halfway through the first season, and yeah. I have loved it too. Good. So good, I good, think good. that anyone who's listening who hasn't watched it yet, it's going to be a real treat uh, um, it's I like how you did Sweet that. Tooth is the name of the show. Okay, wow. it's uh, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic show, mm-hmm. which you know is something that we visit now and again here at the <laughs> Mood Giant Jesus Show. Right. A post-apocalyptic show where 
babies have started to be born as human animal hybrids mm -hmm. at the same time that a virus has attacked all of humanity with the sick and we've seen a lot of humanity die and so it is the tale of sweet tooth and big guy uh, traveling in this post-apocalyptic world and it's uh it's making commentary on a lot of stuff but it's also a lot of fun and would you agree mark that it's kind of a fun watch oh it's a lot of fun and there's a little kind of sad sweetness about it at the same time part of what he's out in this new world trying to explore is why did this hybrid thing happen and what's the origins of all of this and so it's really kind of a a self-development exploratory story but it's so sweet it's so fun and it's visually just stunning i think don't mm -hmm. you i mean to oh, say I that an apocalyptic show is visually like stunning in a positive way not in a oh my gosh right. look at the destruction it's 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 a brilliant show i'm really looking forward to it i am too i am too i can't wait to to delve into that and i can't wait to watch the next season and a half to get ready yes for it. i think it's gonna be a I, lot of fun i cannot wait so the next moonshine jesus show will be looking at sweet tooth we're going to talk about both season one and season two so uh make sure you block off some time to watch it with us so that we you can be uh on board before we spoil it for you right that's right mark before you give the moonshine jesus show call out because I, I can tell you're getting ready to there there's <laughs> something that i feel like i have to say that i didn't get to say this whole podcast talking oh. about back to the future i feel like i have to just say great scott this has been a good show right <laughs> absolutely great scott! great scott and we are so glad that you are all here with us for the show we thank you once again, we don't do this show without y'all. You make it all possible. We get to have all this fun. We get to geek out. We get to talk the theological stuff and political stuff. So thank you, thank you, thank you for watching the Moonshine Jesus Show. And until next time, we'll see you on, again, the Moonshine Jesus Show. Moonshine Jesus, Moonshine Jesus, baby, Moonshine